Um, I, I really think that we've got some fantastic talent in our team. There's a number of quality returning players that the fans know. Overall, it's exciting just to kind of be getting to a new season, and it's a big year for the club. You're listening to Indy 11 head coach Martin Rennie talking about the 2021 Indy 11 season. We talk with Coach Rennie and with Indy 11 CEO Greg Stremlaw on an Indy 11 soccer edition of Michael Loves Indy. Hi friends, welcome back to Michael Loves Indy. I'm recording this over Memorial Day weekend and we've just had a great Indianapolis 500 and month of May. Helio Castroneves just won his fourth Indianapolis 500. Fans returned to Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It was fantastic. So my attention, at least for the next several weeks, if not months, is turning to soccer. Uh, my Indy 11 club in the USL, they've got had a great start in the, in the USL. And of course, the European Championships coming in a couple of weeks. It's going to be uh, really, really exciting. So in this special Indy 11 episode of Michael Loves Indy, I wanted to feature two of the leaders of Indy 11, Coach Martin Rennie, who you heard in the teaser, and CEO of Indy 11, Greg Stramlaw. I wanted to have a short conversation with both individuals about their ambitions for the club, what they think is the future of the team and their own experience of living in Indianapolis, because these are two individuals with international sports experience who now have become great ambassadors for Indianapolis. Uh, So first up, Greg Stremlaw. Greg Stremlaw has been in the role as CEO of the Indy 11 for over two years. Prior to joining the Indy 11, he was head of CBC Sports, a division of Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. In that role, he oversaw shows like Hockey Night in Canada, an iconic show, the organization's Olympic and Paralympic coverage, um, working relationships with the MLS, FIFA. Um, Previous to that, he served as CEO of Curling Canada for curling fans out there. He's actually American and has had great sports experience both in the U.S. and Canada. Again, he's been here the last couple of years. We talk about a lot of things. We talk about the team. We talk about you know future stadium plans, just his ambitions for the team, and also what he thinks of living in Indianapolis so far. So up first, Greg Stremlaw. Then a little later, we'll hear from Coach Martin Rennie. So anyway, enjoy this conversation with the CEO of Indy 11, Greg Stremlaw. We're here with the CEO of Indy 11, Greg Stremlock. Greg, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to uh, have a conversation for a few minutes. My pleasure, Michael. So we met a couple of years ago when you had moved uh, back to the U.S. from Canada, and that was in 2019. And uh, it probably, imagining it feels like five or six years ago, because (laughs) did you think you'd have a global pandemic and then, uh, you know, uh, move move stadiums and then with new stadium and everything? How, how, how's it, has it been kind of a whirlwind the last couple of years? Yeah, it definitely has. But uh, I I think uh, it has been for everybody, right? So it's one of those things you kind of, as you said, it it feels like a lot longer than just a couple of years ago, there's been a lot that's happened in our community, in our world. But uh, yeah, we're, uh, despite that, uh, myself and my family are really enjoying it here. That's great. So I want to get right into the 2021 season. But before I do that, um, of course, for fans of Indy 11 listening, they'll be very familiar with you. But if if not, you know, you you had um, all these really interesting national sporting jobs in Canada. But if, you know, a look at your bio shows that, uh, you know, you actually grew up in the Northeast United States. So could you um, tell, tell folks a little bit about your, your upbringing? Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually grew up in Boston and, uh, you know, went, went to school there, uh, former hockey players. So did all sorts of hockey activities there, uh, played for team USA actually, and uh, enjoyed it. You know, it was, it was, it was great. Still, uh, you know, hopefully nobody listening to this is, gets angered by it. I'm still, I still cheer for everything in Boston when it comes to my sports teams. I, I can't help uh, but do that when you grow up, uh, you know, a season ticket holder for, you know, either the Bruins or the Celtics or the Red Sox. It kind of gets ingrained in your blood as a kid. But, uh, yeah, very, very, very uh, good fond memories of, of, of being town. 
So that didn't strain relationship with um, Lucas Oil Stadium, your, your your Boston status when the Indy 11 played there, I take it. so. Yeah, no, I, I think they gave me a pass, fortunately, but yeah. I, I understand the passion around it. But, uh, yeah, it's one of those things. I can't apologize for where I grew up and the teams that I was kind of convinced to cheer for at the time. So yeah. I, I do continue to follow those teams as well. So can you fill in, again, for people who haven't met you yet, the gap between, you know, playing, uh, you know, hockey on Team USA to, you know, some really interesting, you know, positions, you know, overseeing, you know, the, the iconic hockey night in America. So what, what, were, what were the key stops along the way on the path from, you know, Boston to, um, you know, some of your uh, uh, positions in sports, in sports and uh, broadcasting in Canada? Yeah, no, I, uh, I actually cut my teeth originally at the Orange Bowl in Miami, Florida, and I got recruited to come north of the border and uh, be part of the, the Olympic Games and the legacy games that were held in uh, uh, Calgary in 1988. It was post that, of course, but, you know, the, the venues that are there left over from 1988 Winter Olympic Games uh, were incredible. And uh, so I got, I got a kind of a key executive role at a very young age and uh, became vice president of sport there and got heavily uh, ingrained with uh, what are known as the sliding sports, uh, bobsleigh, luge, skeleton. There's a Olympic bobsleigh track there, the ski jumps, and a number of the things that people become accustomed to in the Winter Winter Olympics. I became an international official and delegate in all of those sports as well and st- still carry my, my jury license internationally. So I watch those sports uh, intimately, even though they're not necessarily hotbeds here in Indianapolis, and uh, in- enjoyed that. I've been an executive at 10 Olympic Games, both summer and winter since then, uh, with stops as a, as a CEO of a ski resort. and. Uh, becoming the CEO of Curling Canada, which, uh, you know, a national governing body, which not not many people here in Indianapolis are huge curling fans, but north of the border, it's just an absolute massive sport that uh, at the time I was there, we had over a million members, which, believe it or not, are more than USA Soccer, USA Swimming Wow! in the U.S. And uh, I tell some people our record attendance, I think was 2005 at the Men's National Championship called the Briar, the Tim Hortons Briar, um, now called the Tim Hortons Briar, and I think we had 285,000 fans for that event, which people are like, for curling? It's like, yep, for curling, believe it or not. There are a lot of uh, rabid fans when it comes to that, uh, that sport on ice. So, uh, And then, yeah, I, uh, from curling, I went to uh, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, became president of the CBC, as it's called, uh, the sport division there, uh, very, very similar to NBC Sports. Uh, where most of the items that we looked after so similar uh, Olympic Games, so exclusive rights in the Canadian jurisdiction on any, every, anything to do with uh, broadcast, digital, radio, both in French and English, uh, north of the border. Uh, hockey, huge. Again, it was uh, one of the things I was so passionate about uh, overseeing Hockey Night in Canada, uh, which has been going on for, you know, 70 years. Uh, it's just an iconic institution in, in, in the Canadian market and around the world in, in hockey. Uh, and then really a lot of soccer. Uh, we were the exclusive rights holder for the FIFA World Cup um, almost for 60 years, I believe, uh, as well as multi-year rights with Major League Soccer, MLS, CONCACAF Games, and had a partnership with both the men's and women's national teams. So wow. uh, a really, really dynamic role, a lot of international travel, uh, but I, I, did, I did thoroughly enjoy it. And uh, I was headquartered out of Toronto for the last four or five years before coming to Indy. Just a couple of questions on, again, just going deeper into your background. And we, I'd love to uh, sometime have a, a longer conversation about it because, um, one, you know, you meet a lot of people who would love to work in sports. And I, I liken it to music as well, you know, Greg, which you know is a big part of my life. You know, people love, would love to work in sports and, and work in music. And the, those um, leadership roles in those industries are very hard to get. Um, you know, I, I have noticed that, um, in the, the people I know in sport, I only know a few people who have been at your level with the kind of leadership positions in sports. And there's kind of a, I don't know if it, call it a hustle, call it a, uh, kind of a no job too large or too, too small, um, kind of multifunctional thing. Can you, I guess, um, what, what have been the keys for you, um, you know, in, in getting these kinds of, um, uh, you know, beginning uh, recruited for these kinds of highly visible roles and were there early experiences where it really clicked? Yeah, no, I think a great question. I, I, I don't know if there's one kind of singular answer, answer to that, but I would say definitely a lot of hours. So have to be prepared in that industry, this industry, sports and entertainment to like a lot of industries put in 
excess amount of time to, to really over deliver. Uh, it is like a lot of places results oriented. So I've been fortunate enough that in some locations uh, results have come and, and done very well, whether it's through a number of Olympic gold medals or helping financial bottom lines of turning certain companies from bust into, uh, you know, seven or eight figure profits. And that, that's, that, that word gets out. And so again, a lot of people involved in that. I've been blessed to be a part of some of those organizations turnarounds. Um, and I think networking really, it's like anything, right? I mean, we still live in a world of, of who, you know, and try and treat them right with respect and trust and earn that trust back. And, um, you know, pe- pe- people seem to uh, have an affinity for that. And, and so sometimes that helps when, uh, when people pick up the phone and want to make a call to see, uh, see what you might be able to do to help out. So I, I would say those are the items, Michael, that has really come, come to the surface. And then just an educational background from my end that has kind of crossed business and sport. And I, I didn't originally intend on that, but it's really helped, I think, in a career uh, thus far, which um, I have no regrets about. I wouldn't go back and change a thing from uh, educational endeavors. So being in a leadership position at a national broadcasting company to running a sports franchise, that's a big leap. You know, it's, it's definitely something different, you know, you've, you, you know, and, uh, and so um, I would be curious to ask, I guess, so it's over two years ago, what, what attracted you to the CEO position of Indy 11? What went into your decision um, uh, when, when that opportunity uh, came to you? Yeah, I would, I would say, and, and, and likely not in this order, but love the vision of ownership and, uh, and everything that, that, that are Saul and, and, uh, and others here trying to do. So that, that vision needed to resonate with myself, my wife, and our family. It absolutely did. Two, geography. Uh, we've been to Indianapolis many, many times. My wife has family in the Midwest. My daughter's at Ohio State at the time, that, and she still is at the time that took the role. So geography definitely played a role as well. Love it as a sports community. and It just, to me, flies under the radar screen and compared to some of the New York's, L.A.'s, or Miami's of the world. But you know what? It, it, it punches well above its weight class. And things like IMS or the Colts or the Pacers or, you know, even most recently March Madness, it's just such a capable sports community. And it has been for so long. It's, it's, it's wonderful to see. So putting all those things together and then, again, the key opportunity to be involved with 11 Park, have a leadership role with 11 Park and, and, and working towards building a legacy facility here in this wonderful sports community along with Indy 11 and the, and the men's side. And then, as we've said publicly, a keen interest on, on bringing in a women's professional team as well. Those three things uh, together, uh, having, having you know, leadership capacity or role operationally with all of them, to me, was what would seal the deal. I, I will ask you to say maybe a couple more words about Ursal Ozdemir. And I, I can say this because he's been a friend and a family friend for years. And full disclosure, he's also on, on the board of my, my employer. So in, in a sense, I realize I kind of work for him. But, you know, he maintains a, a, a private profile. And I don't think a lot of people understand. He, he is totally invested in Indianapolis. He's very charitable. And he is, and I, I, if he's listening to this, he's also very and a very aggressive businessman, um, and, and very creative, you know, it's like in the, you know, I remember when he said, we're going to go for NASL years ago, and then it happened. And then when he said, we're going to host, um, you know, international champions cup here before the team started, and then it happened. And it's like, there's a, um, I don't know there, the, I, I want to ask you to expand a little bit more about the commitment of the owner, because, because, Ursal maintains a low profile and I feel like he doesn't get enough credit for his creativity and kind of that, that speed, speed to decision, if that makes sense. It, it does. And there's no doubt. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I'm not here and the 11 isn't here with, without Ursal. Ursal is a passionate man, uh, as I said before, incredible vision uh, in all of his businesses. And uh, despite the low profile, he is very, very well connected in the community and cares passionately about it as does his whole family. And I think that's to be applauded. As I say, I get to do what I love to do because he enables me to do that. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm also here is if, if the, if there wasn't a good chemistry or fit there, uh, I, I would not have taken on that role. I mean, I, I left a really great role, uh, very dyna- dynamic international role uh, to, to, to be part of this. I did that because it was the right move. And, and really, if, if Ursal wasn't involved, I would not be here. Yeah. And I think his, his ability to, and I'm not just saying this, to recruit 
coach Martin Rennie and bring him in and give him the autonomy to manage to bring somebody like you in with international experience, give you the autonomy to really run things, I think has really um, uh, impressed people and impressed upon people here that this is really serious. And Greg, I want to ask you your impressions of that first year, 2019, um, what, you know, what, what were some of the, what were some of the, and, and both of, of uh, Indy 11 and of Indianapolis, what, what were some of your earliest uh, impressions? Well, I'll start with the, the city did not disappoint, but we kind of, we, we knew that uh, my wife and I did our homework. Uh, as I said, we had been here many, many times, uh, love the people, love the area. Uh, so that has met all of our expectations and there was really no surprises, Michael. I mean, it's, it's not something we would have taken lightly. Um, and so I think our due diligence paid off. And so to be able to say, Hey, you know what? Every single aspect, whether it's our neighbors in our neighborhood to, you know, uh, where kids are going to school, uh, you know, all of that has either met or exceeded our expectations. So that was, that was a home run from our end, uh, with regards to the role. Yeah. I mean, 2019 was, it's, it's always interesting playing in a billion dollar, uh, you know, predominantly football venue with a retractable roof, the only one in the United soccer yeah. league. Uh, but we did well, you know, we, I mean, we, we set a new attendance mark with, uh, uh, you know, almost 21,000 fans in the home opener that year. Uh, it was a huge success in my opinion for a lot of the legwork and sweat equity that are Saul and many stakeholders put to uh, have legislation passed through the state house on 11 park and, you know, really put a pin in the map of what we're trying to do uh, from a high performance standpoint. You know, we were seconds away from hosting the, the the championship final here in Indianapolis. Unfortunately, overtime was not kind to us, but, you know, we had a 1-0 lead all the way until literally the last uh, 15 seconds yeah. of regulation. So I think all of those things um, combined, I, I think, show that this is why it was a really good fit. Pandemic hits, but you can only, as we all know, you can only control the controllables, and that's what we're continuing to try and do as all of us uh, slowly come out of this thing and yeah. and get back to you know some of those uh, proverbial senses of normalcy. And uh, we're we're doing it as a stair step approach over at Carroll Stadium, and you know we're going to have capacity restrictions, but you know each game and each month we look forward to seeing some of those things you know loosen up more and more and 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 getting things back to way the way that we believe they can be and they will be. Well, I haven't told you this, um, but um, Indy 11's ability to navigate COVID and introduce, kind of bring back fans on a staged basis with the level of testing and, you know, precautionary measures you did, at least from the outside, was really, really impressive. Um and I, I, again, I know a lot of people listening are going to be like, okay, I'm so tired. Of, you know, we've, I've had 14 months of COVID. Let's talk about the future. But I, I would like you, if you could share for a minute, every, you know, just, um, you know, everything that went into um, bringing fans back safely in 2020, because I'm pretty sure you were the first professional franchise, one of the first professional franchises in the Midwest, uh, for that matter, to bring fans back safely. Yeah, no, I, you're right. I think we're all tired of talking about it, but it is one thing that I, I really do feel we, we, we did very well. Uh, I, I think, candidly, we feel like a best practice in that many other organizations have said as much. Uh, you're correct. From a, from a state standpoint, we're the first professional sport team to resume play during COVID. We, we helped reopen Lucas Oil Stadium. In fact, more than just one game, but set of games for other events uh, were hosted there. Uh, we did help some other teams uh, write their own health and safety uh, policies and protocols. We put a lot of work into it. And, and one of my volunteer roles is I was appointed to a uh, uh, national task force for uh, COVID-19 for pro sport. And that has given candidly a, a very good glimpse at what uh, on a day by day basis, other leagues, NFL, NBA, MLB, uh, MLS, et cetera, are doing. Um, sharing that intel here locally as well uh, with, with a number of key stakeholders and either owners of, of other sports teams or key executives. And, and, and that has helped, right? I mean, that's the type of intel we wouldn't have if, if some of those roles weren't, uh, weren't provided to us. And of course, uh, we, we've, we've made sure that information gets to our club and, and why we tried to take a leadership role on it and why, touch wood, we had zero incidents at all last year. And yes, we've had heightened testing. We've had our players and coaches in a significant bubble. Uh, we've continued with that, but now we're starting to see some signs as, uh, as of today, we're 96.1% fully vaccinated. 
which I'm pretty pleased with. That's yeah. that's obviously uh, significant, right? We'd like it to be 100. We may get there yet. That's the goal. Um, we're very close to that. But uh, for most companies around, including sports teams, to say that they're at 96.1 fully vaxxed is – is, is, a, is a great achievement. I think that just shows our commitment to wanting to be a best practice and show, you know, families, friends, loved ones that come to Carroll Stadium that, no, you don't have to worry about things. We're, we're, we're taking everything very, very seriously, and your uh, health and safety is our top priority. So you've got, and again, I just logistically, I just think about, you know, how do you manage all this? It, it is very exciting. Of course, the fans, you know, it's, it's a staged effort. The fans will be uh, returning in full to see Indy 11, you are back at Carroll Stadium while, you know, the, um, you know, the, the final arrangements for a new stadium are happening. Uh, obviously, you got legislation passed within the last couple of years, which is huge toward getting a new soccer stadium constructed. Um, if for fans who are watching, they would have seen, uh, you know, Indy 11 play in uh, uh, Tulsa um, on Saturday night. Unfortunately, we didn't get the win, but the, the team has definitely looked um, good in, in the in the first match against Birmingham. So the um, uh, Carroll Stadium, people obviously will notice some improvements because there has been a renovation there. What's the kind of what's the strategy or what's the calculus around playing at Carroll Stadium and then, you know, the future of, a, of another soccer stadium? I know it's a big question, but I just wanted to get your sense. Well, I think it serves. I mean, the positivity rate, Michael, for, for fans, actually, I was blown away. You know, I'd say I put it in around 95% of, of positivity around fans loving the move uh, yeah. back to Carroll. You're, you're right. It is. We know it's a bit of a dated facility. That said, we've invested uh, dollars and sweat equity into moving some things there to make a great fan experience. You know, a brand new high res led video board that really popped on the weekend. I think it was a great, we got so many compliments around it, you know, getting all the suites and and bringing them up, you know, with new carpets, new TVs, all those things to really upgrade it for our corporate sponsors. Uh, BYB stands right there in the action. So I think it serves as an appetizer for 11 park. It's a reminder what playing the beautiful game is like in an outdoor venue, you know, fresh air, cure the smoke, uh, all the other paraphernalia that goes with that. Uh, Although we're under capacity restrictions, you know, we look forward to continuing uh, as that grows, we continue to plan to sell out. Right. So keep, keep, keep the number moving up and we'll keep uh, putting the butts in the seats. And uh, yeah, the product on the field, we think we have a really good, uh, team, we spent a lot of uh, effort in the off season to assemble this roster. Many of them are new. Uh, they, some of them are certainly from countries all around the world, so they have to get used to playing with each other, building that chemistry and that bond. We we saw that all through the preseason with a ton of wins and a lot of goals. We saw it on the road in Birmingham. Unfortunately, you're right. The Tulsa game didn't go our way on the score sheet, but from a statistics standpoint, you know we we, we did all the right things, right? Yeah. It's just uh, the possession was 60% us. Uh, we outshot 16 to four. Uh, just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. One of those games that, whether it was Iozzi's uh, crossbar in, a, in, a, in, a, in the penalty kick or, you know, Nicky Moon ringing one off the, the post in the first half, we just, one of those ones you couldn't buy a goal. So looking yep. forward to getting that behind us, hopefully, and working on to, to game number three. And as somebody, I mean, I know, uh, and I, I know in, in some ways this is a compliment, uh, you know, losing Tyler Pasher, Evan Newton, and others to the MLS, which actually, I know is in some ways a backhanded compliment because it shows that they, you know, they got great exp- game experience, but man, like you mentioned a couple of the new players and Arteaga's goal down in uh, Birmingham. I mean, um, it's a, it, it's a definitely a, um, an attacking team and it's, uh, just the, you, you're right. Just one look at Indy 11's roster. It tells you how international USL is. I'm really, um, I'm I'm so impressed, Greg, with how USL popularity continues to grow along with MLS. You know, especially if you look at the last at the last decade, the USL is turning out to be a highly competitive league. And I love seeing some of these regional rivalries develop. To tell me if I'm wrong, I think with the way they're doing divisional play this year, you will play division rivals what four times? Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. That's so cool. Can you like can you um can you give folks a little bit of a behind the scenes on on the USL? Like are my it, Am I crazy, or is it, or is it, um, uh, the, it growing in popularity? No, it, it, it definitely is, Michael. And, and a lot of people don't know there's three different tiers, right? We play at the top tier in USL called Ch- USL Championship, but yeah. then there's League One, League Two. So three different tiers within USL as it continues to grow, and predominantly in, in a whole bunch of different markets from coast to coast, uh, and a lot of new infrastructure. You know, you look at some of our rivals like Blue City, 
building a brand new venue and opening it last year. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's got rave reviews. Others like in Colorado, again, opening brand new venues this year. So I think the infrastructure investments from owners of these clubs as well is key. Of course, we're, we're rather biased. We, we, we look forward to 11 park more so than all the others. And I do think it will be, you know, the stalwart, if you will, of, of the, of the best in class yep. venue for this league bar none. And, and that continues to be our goal, not just from a venue standpoint, but from a club, we want to be the preeminent franchise in, in the United soccer league, full stop. Uh, and that's everything from the way we market ourselves to our brand, to attendance, uh, to sponsorships, uh, sales. And of course, uh, the, the, the almighty one, uh, our results on the field. And, and yep. we're not, we're not there yet with results on the field, but we do think that we've, uh, we've given our coaching staff and our players, the best opportunity to, to, to win a championship. And uh, now it's, you know, now it's on them with, uh, with heightened leadership role with our captain or vice captain and the leadership core to, to get us through to the end of the year and hopefully have a, have a big cup over our heads. Well, it looks, I mean, you look at the organization um, led by yourself, you know, the experiences that you've had across sports. And then I'm, I'm excited to share the interview, which I will later in this program with coach Rennie. It's just like, you know, he's also, in addition to yourself, he's someone who you could bring in just for a leadership talk in just about any industry, you know, I mean, I'm just like, just his, uh, I, I wanted, I wanted to continue the conversation just about his philosophies about, you know, um, you know, really paying attention to people's strengths and, and kind of, you know, um, empowering leaders and things like that. He def, you've definitely got a, um, uh, some real talent in Coach Rennie and in the coaching staff. Are there are there other, are there things about Coach Rennie uh, or you know the organization that wouldn't be obvious to uh, to the fan? Yeah, I mean Coach Rennie's a great coach, there's no doubt about it, and, and clearly a track record of winning and certainly coaching at Major League Soccer as well. So uh, well experienced, I, I think uh, you know we get along very very well, and is a key member of my uh, senior management team here. And I think it's important that the front office and the high performance aspect of the coaches are linked well together. And so just to use an example, many people wouldn't know, uh, you know, coach Rennie sits on our SMT and is on all of our, our weekly calls and our meetings, et cetera, because we think it's important to learn more about the coaches and what's going on with the players, but also for the coaches to, to have a, a key linkage into, you know, how we're marketing ourselves, how we're branding ourselves, what are our new corporate sponsorship portfolios looking like, you know, those types of things. And, and I think that's an important one. No different than me going out and spending time now with the leadership, uh, the athletes and the leadership group uh, there for our players, coaches meetings, and, and also I'm, I'm part of the testing bubble, right? Yeah. So it's just, I think those synergies are really important, uh, especially in a, in a season and a time where, uh, the world is still a very uh, difficult place, and so enhancing that communication is critical. I'd say the only other one, Michael, that jumps to mind that probably most listeners wouldn't know, but is the importance of culture overall. Um, it's one thing I know Coach Rennie and I agree on significantly, and that is to really have that best-in-class culture, a culture of excellence. And to do that, that takes work, right? That takes leadership by example. That takes people buying into it. And it's just not, say, the front office and or it's just not players. It's en masse throughout the organization. So I know the first senior hire I did upon arriving in Indies, I hired the USL's first director of culture. That's what she does is, 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 is spend all of the hours making sure morale is, high, morale is high, communication is enhanced, that there's linkages around culture between the front office and the coaching and our technical staff. And a lot of people kind of look like, why, why, who, why is that important? Well, now we're starting to see, you know, uh, another club or two starting to ask questions. Well, maybe we should do that. And I, I, I'm thrilled with, with, with the role that she's playing. And again, I think it just sends the message. Culture is key yeah. to Indy 11. You've been really generous with your time, Greg. I just have a couple more questions. One is, um, I, I, is about the Brickyard Battalion and about just the the hardcore fans in general, but the battalion. So you know, I tell people, a Indy Eleven, it's a great ticket. It's a great ticket, particularly for families. Uh, you just made it incredibly accessible and enjoyable for families. And I always tell people, you know, the the main show obviously is the game, is the match. The second show is definitely the Brickyard Battalion, and I just love <laughs> I love the fact that like around at at every corner, whether when when 
you know, there when there were questions about the future of NASL and India and went to USL and everything like that, the battalion support has just, you know, always been there. These are a lot of these are, are people who really prepared and waited for years to, for Indy to have professional soccer. And uh, they're just they're just nuts. I mean, it's great. Uh, they add so much to the games. What what's the what's the relationship between, you know, the battalion and, you know, the kind of the super fans in general and in uh, the organization? Yeah, I think it's really good. I mean, even stuff, you know, uh, in, in our executive offices, we've got a boardroom. It's called the BYB room, right? It's yeah. a battalion boardroom. It's just, um, you know, we, 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 we consistently try and make sure that we've got great relationship and communications are at a premium, uh, making sure that we're listening and, and how can we work together uh, to be successful. And you're right. A lot of people just come besides the product on the field to see what the BYB are going to do. What's the latest chant? What's, you know, what, what are the smoke bombs going to look like? What are the flags? You know, what, all of that type of stuff and pageantry that goes around, around with it. And, and that's why they're not fans. They are supporters. There is, there is yeah. a key difference. Like they live and breathe what Indy 11 does. And, and certainly they're a lifeblood to, to that quote unquote fan base, the supporter base to Indy 11. So they mean an awful lot to us. And certainly we have, you know, con- continuing dialogues in terms of how we can improve, how can we work together. Obviously, there are specific parameters around COVID or health and wellness or venue restrictions. So we always, you know, we always try to do our, our utmost, but there are some things we, we, we can't bend and or we can't change. But, uh, you know, for the most part, I think uh, it, it's a partnership and yeah. that's how we view it, right? I mean, they're they're an autonomous supporters group, but they, they are so important to us. And, and so I think the best phrase that I would use around it, Michael, would be a great partner. So, Greg, last question for fans. I, I I know we'll have fans thinking, okay, when's a good time for me to you know bring my family? I know you all work very closely with uh, state and local uh, health officials to make sure that it's going to be a safe experience as possible. Um, what what can you know both on that level, but just any, you know, or anything else I didn't ask you? What what can fans look forward to in in twenty twenty one, and what should they be looking out for? Well, I I think like hopefully across the country and across this world, I, I think seeing larger crowds and larger gatherings feel safe to come out and really enjoy the spectacle that Indy 11 is able to provide. So I think what they should look for is consistently go back to Indy11.com, check what tickets are available. And as we are able to release more so that people can participate and come and cheer on their boys in blue. I think that's the number one thing that this is going to be a very fluid situation and, you know, things can change from one month to the next. So uh, don't be complacent in that really stay connected to what we're doing because you, you, you know, if you haven't had a chance to come out and enjoy it, you, you will at some point this year, hopefully sooner than later. Well, Greg, we're incredibly fortunate to have you, leading this franchise, um, you know, bringing all of your experience from, um, you know, Canada and other parts of the U.S. And I, you know, I, I only made the connection, I think, approaching this conversation. I, I have no, I, I have no doubt that your experience and the organization's experience um, helped to bring, you know, live soccer to people back during COVID at a time when people needed the help and need, you know, needed the, needed the inspiration. And so, um, I'm just, uh, incredibly appreciative of you taking the time and, you know, grateful that uh, you and the team are, are, are leading this franchise. So, um, thanks again. And, you know, this is reminding me, we're going to have to have a longer conversation just about 11 park. And, you know, once, you know, we, we get more into the, the details of, um, of that facility and the kind of community advocacy and things like that, if you'd be up for it. Absolutely. I, I would love to. I, I can't tell you how anxious I am to have a more in-depth conversation, especially as more information becomes available. We're excited to share that uh, in, in the weeks and months ahead. Yeah, me too. Well, uh, Greg Stremla, thank you so much. Um, really looking forward to uh, following Indy 11 this season and getting back into uh, Carroll Stadium with uh, as it gets closer to having safe, uh, full-capacity crowds. So thank you so much. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate all you do. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. Bye-bye. You too. Up next is a conversation with Indy 11 head coach Martin Rennie. Coach Rennie has served in that role for three years. And if you haven't met him before, he hails from Scotland. And for a young man, he has a really impressive resume coaching in the United States and internationally. He's coached in places including MLS. He was the head coach of the Vancouver Whitecaps from 2011 to 2013. They were the first Canadian team in MLS history to reach the playoffs. They also won the Cascadia Cup and reached two Canadian Cup finals. He also was the head coach in, of uh, Seoul Eland in the highly competitive K-League in Korea. 
and he talks a little bit about that. And uh, he also holds the very prestigious UEFA Pro License. It's the highest coaching qualification available anywhere in the world. So you'll enjoy this conversation with Coach Rennie. And I have to say, especially for faithful listeners, I made an audio error and it cut off the first 15 minutes of the conversation. And my heart is broken for that because he talks a lot about his upbringing and background in Scotland. But what I want to say is, if you have any chance to have Coach Rennie speak, he speaks on leadership. He had a career in business in his 20s before he went into coaching full-time, working for tech companies. He's just such an impressive guy with a lot of perspective, not just about sports and soccer, but about life and organizations in general. So I highly recommend it. We're definitely going to have him back and, and have featured him before as at, at Indie Chamber as a featured speaker. So I didn't get the entire conversation that I wanted to get, but he was gracious enough. We got the next 20 minutes or so. So anyway, we talk a little bit more in depth about the roster and about the opportunity. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Indy 11 coach Martin Rennie. One of the the absolute key components that we we want to add to what we're doing in order to just take the team there because having one in other cities I know how much of a difference it makes from being good to maybe being the best and that's what we're really really striving towards and I believe that's possible here absolutely and it's a very international roster as well um that uh, that we're we're looking at right now, and I was thinking about just the the depth in the squad um, has really improved over the last few years um, under your leadership. Um, you had a great uh, Indy Eleven, obviously had a great season in uh, in 2019. Um, uh, I I do want to ask you about 2020 because I know that must have been well. I mean, for the entire world, that was a very stressful experience to go through. Um, but, and yet they, the, the league still salvaged a, a season. What was that like going through, uh, the club and the, the players? Yeah, it was, it was a huge challenge because it was so different from what we were, what we were used to, as you rightly say, for everybody in the world. And um, from a soccer perspective, it was completely different environment because you, you were, you know, training and going back to your house or your apartment and you could maybe go out to the shop and that was pretty much it. So for a lot of guys, they're here on their own. They're not here with family. They're not really able to hang out with their friends or with their teammates. They're not really able to go out for dinner and things like that. So I think that that takes quite a toll on people mentally um, because obviously people like to interact with others and, and so on. We couldn't even do a lot of the things we would normally do around the training ground in terms of having a gym or hanging out in the lounge or playing video games or things like that. So it was very, very different. Having said that, we started the season really well. We were in great form, scoring scoring a lot of goals, getting clean sheets, winning games, playing quite well. And so I think the thing that was most challenging about the season was we had a spell of games um, where we didn't do well. And because the season was so short, we didn't have time to really rectify it and get it back on track. Um, and the season was over before we really had time to do that. It was, I think, only 16 games. So... It was a little bit of a strange year. It ended up where there wasn't actually a championship game. It's kind of almost going to be the season that, when we look back on it, that time might have forgotten a little bit. So in a positive sense, I feel like we learned a lot of lessons from it. I think we had a really hard schedule, played a lot of tough games, and in that we we saw certain things that we wanted to adjust or improve about our team. Um, And we had a long off-season to do that, I think almost seven months from the last game until the first game of the season. So we really were able to work you know, extra hard and extra long on recruitment and development and building the club. So I think that um, we've taken it a good a good chunk forward. Last year had had lots of positives. We, we broke some records. We won some awards, but it didn't finish the way we would have liked it to. Um, and so when that happens, you have to really reflect and be honest and and learn lessons. And going back to the one of the first points I made, if you don't win, then you have to figure out what you need to learn so that you can win next time. And that's really what we're looking to do. So the the team had a few departures, but also some new talent coming in. And no, most notable for me, just as a fan, I know uh, Tyler Pasher. We're going to miss him, but um, happy about his opportunity in MLS. Evan Newton as well. But now, I mean, you've got a different. I mean, a different positions again to to provide more depth. Uh, Jordan Hamilton, Sissoko. Uh, are there are there uh, 
you know, uh, can can you uh, comment on some of the the new players joining the squad and and what fans can look forward to? Yeah, and just really quickly, we we actually sold four players to MLS in this off season, which is uh, the first time that Indy Eleven have sold any players to MLS. So to sell four is is a really great achievement for the club and shows the development that we've made and shows um, how much these these other MLS clubs respect the players that we have. And I believe we've got a number of players now who could do the same thing. So um, I, I really think that we've got some fantastic talent in our team. There's a number of quality returning players that the fans know. And then there are players like Jordan Hamilton, like Sizoko, um, Manuel Arteaga, who people don't really know too much about. But he and Jordan Hamilton have each scored, I think, seven goals each in preseason, which is phenomenal. Um, Nicky Law is a player who brings a lot of quality and a lot of experience. Um, who's done really well in preseason as well, and and really, it's hard to pick one or two guys out at the moment. Yeah, but I think there's a few there that the fans will really take to, and I think at the same time we've opened up a couple of pathways for players that we've had for a couple of years who we really rate and who we think can do very well, and um, but maybe we're we're kind of unable to get their chance. For example, like Jordan Farr, um, our goalkeeper who has been a backup to Evan Newton for a couple of years. Uh, but has a lot of talent and ability. And so I think that overall it's exciting just to kind of be getting to a new season. It's been a long off season. It was a, a, an up a kind of stop-start season last season. Um, and it's a big year for the club. You know, I think that we're moving back to Mike Carroll Stadium. There's going to be a great atmosphere there. The fans are going to be able to get back out and watch us as the season goes along. And I know they can't wait to do that from the ones I've interacted with. And I know we can't wait to be back out in front of our fans. So it's an exciting time and it uh, feels like the world's kind of getting back up and moving again after a, a time where we, where we all had to pause. Um, but hopefully in that time where we paused, we learned some valuable lessons and, um, you know, not just from a soccer perspective, but from life and maybe realize just how many things we take for granted. And maybe hopefully we can do a better job of um, helping one another, being strong leaders in our community and continuing to build um, the opportunity that we have here with soccer, but also the city of Indianapolis and all the great things that it has going on and showcase that well um, outside of our state. Absolutely. You know, um, great leagues are built partly because of great rivalries. And like the this is a whole other story about the Brickyard Battalion who are crazy. So if you're if you're a casual fan or you haven't been to a game, uh, the there you know the game is the main event, but the Brickyard Battalion is definitely <laughs> the the sideshow, and they just never ever stop. And you know the rivalries like the one that's brewing with um, Louisville City FC, uh, you know a, a, a past uh, USL champion is is really exciting. But are there are there things are there particular things about this league and the clubs and the rivalries that form that stand out for you, Coach? Yeah, definitely. I think. You know, we've mentioned it a couple of times as we've been talking, just how much the USL has grown. Um, and certainly clubs like Louisville and, and Indy 11 have built strong rivalries and, um, you know, built strong clubs, not just from the, the, the main professional team, but from the infrastructure leading up to that. Um, so I, I, I think that there's a number of those throughout the, throughout the league. Um, obviously, the, the proximity we have with Pittsburgh, Louisville, last year St. Louis, that meant for a very, very hard schedule in terms of playing those teams every week. But it also it also showed us a lot of things about um, just how much the fans fans care about our team and just how much um, quality there is on those local teams. So there's a, there's a really strong group of teams right here um, close by us and not just in USL but in Major League Soccer as well. So um, I've got to know a little bit in the community too just about how strong the youth soccer is here. Um, both boys and girls and just how many good players there are, how many good teams there are. Obviously, then we can look at the college level as well and some fantastic organizations and teams there too. So soccer is really, really big in, in this area. And uh, as you can tell from, you mentioned that the Brickyard Battalion and all the fans that come out to our games, it's really probably one of the best atmospheres in the country. And when we play um, our local rivalry against Louisville, it's one of the best games in the country uh, as well as one of the best atmospheres at any level. So, um, yeah, it's, it's excellent to have those rivalries. And I think one of the things that we've all learned over, over the last year, uh, more than a year now, is just how important it is to have fans because the game is not the same and sports are not the same without the fans. I think yes. we all knew that, but um, it's, it's been never been more obvious than it is now. Well, and uh, the... Um 
tickets are obviously advertised on the Indy 11 site. They're going fast. Um, I'm personally very excited to see the, the, the club uh, back in Carroll Stadium. It's obviously a great atmosphere. Um, a couple a couple questions, Coach, and you've been more than, than generous with your time. Um, as you think about what, what are the keys, you think, for USL as a league uh, to, to – for its popularity to grow. I mean, there are little things that I notice. you know, these regional rivalries getting bigger is a great thing. Just things like the, the, the teams having these unique identities and the, the brands and the designs becoming more prominent is something I've noticed as well, which is really important, but just the, the, in, in, in continuing to build that fan base, are there things from your, you know, international experience or U S experience that stand out? Yeah, I think that what's really important, um, first of all, is the infrastructure of the club. Like the club actually having a, an identity of how they want to do things, how they want to present themselves and how they want their team to play. And then having youth teams that lead into the, to the first team. So there's a USL Academy starting up for youth teams. So I think that's really important. And then a lot of it comes down to um, ownership. Um, we're so fortunate to have an owner um, and with his, our soul, Ozdemir being really committed to the club, being really ambitious, knowing how much it means to the community and wanting it to thrive. And I think obviously other clubs have great owners as well. And the more great owners that the clubs have with a clear philosophy and good leadership within their front office and good leadership within their within their um, soccer department, then the fans can really come into something that has such a solid foundation we talked about that near the beginning of this conversation where why is soccer grown so much? No, it's not just because of that elite level, that major player. It's because the infrastructure and the foundation is so strong underneath it. And so good clubs will have that. So they might not win the championship every year. They might not sell four, four players to MLS every year. But if they have the right game, game plan, if they have the right philosophy, the right identity in place, then consistently they will have success. Consistently they will develop players consistently they will win a lot of games and can and every now and then they'll win a championship so that's what I think it takes for then the fans to really be completely sold out and bought bought into what's going on um is to have that proper value and structure in place below that and that takes knowledge and that takes experience and a lot of times it goes completely unnoticed because fans will look from the week to week um, but the most successful clubs that will that will reward their fans the most in the long term are the ones that have a real solid structure and identity. So that that structure, um, there's been a lot of discussion about the state of U.S. soccer in the past few you know past few years, including the U.S. failing to qualify for the last World Cup, and yet. Now you look at the number of young players, especially into that, you know, 19 to 23 age playing for some elite, you know, European clubs in the Champions League. I noticed uh, Red Bull likes it. Leipzig has got an American uh, manager now. My my hope and it's kind of a question. I don't know. My my hope is that that all has a cascading effect on leagues, including USL and MLS. Is that is that an accurate uh, yeah, because what so what's happening is there's more and more high-level youth development taking place, which means there's more and more players like the ones you mentioned going to the highest levels in Europe. They're then competing at a level that's maybe even beyond what they had ever done before. And so when they play on the national team, they should be playing at a higher level and the expectations can start to go up. I think, you know, one of the challenges that, that, that the U.S. national team has is that in, in most sports, the U.S. are the leader. And in some sports, there's really only the U.S. that really play the sport. But when it comes to things like the Olympics and others, the U.S. really excels. Um, but when it comes to soccer, obviously football for most people in the rest of the world, they're so far advanced. The culture is so, so strong. And the way that they play is, is just so high. It's you know, such a high, high level. So the U.S. are sometimes coming into that going like we should be the best when actually like it's going to be extremely hard to be consistently better than Brazil, Germany, Spain, you know, and so on. And I think sometimes the way that the, the U.S. go about their philosophy of play is that they need to be the absolute dominant team. They need to, to always be the, you know, on the ball, playing a particular way, dominating the entire game. And I just don't know if that's really the right the right idea when it comes to playing the absolute elite countries in the world. So that's just my own idea yep. on it. But the overall structure is is growing fantastically, and that's going to make a massive difference when it comes to competing on the world stage. Yeah. 
I did think uh, I just have a couple more things, and I'll let you go. You've been more than generous with your time. The fact the I'm shifting gears, but the fact that the 72 hours of European Super League proposal became such a huge story here in the United States was really interesting. You know, I don't think that would have been the case, you know, 15 years ago. Um, again, no. as someone who's grown up in the game, I know it's a, I know it's, it's, you're talking about UEFA and, and we're in the United States, but as someone who grew up, um, you know, in the game, did you have a, uh, an opinion on that? Yeah. So uh, what's interesting is a lot of the owners of the, some of the biggest clubs in the world and in Europe, are actually American owners, funnily yeah. enough. And they're used to a model with like NFL, NBA, Major League Soccer, NHL, where there's no promotion and relegation. It's basically, if you have enough money, you can have a club. Um, there has to be other things in place, but a large part of it is having the, the financial wherewithal to do it. Whereas the, the major clubs in soccer and football around the rest of the world, they grew up from the from people who had no money, they were supported by the community um, and people competed in order to get into things like the European Champions League or UEFA Champions League or, you know, whatever the top league, the Premier League or La Liga, you had to compete, you had to win promotion. If you didn't do well enough, you got relegated. And that is, that's really an incredible model. But a, but a business owner who's buying a franchise for 200 million is unwilling to do that if there's a chance they could get relegated down to a league that will not, you know, su support that. But I really think that the people spoke very loud and very clear about how they think soccer and football should be run. Um, and it was amazing to see the power of the people in action yeah. that just completely quashed that idea and took over in days. It was It was really good to see in some ways. And I think it reminds us of like, the power that we do have if we're united in a cause and what we can do if we're, if we're able to stick together. Well, that's great. Uh, you know, uh, appreciate your perspective on that. It was just such a, such a crazy, uh, you know, 72 hours. Um, well, coach, um, good luck this Saturday against uh, Birmingham Legion FC and then your home against FC Tulsa. Anything else that you would want fans to know about the upcoming USL season? Yeah, just get yourself down there to, to Michael Carroll. Almost every single game that we play this season is on a Saturday night at 7 p.m. Uh, 14 of 16 games are, are there. And I think after June, all of our games are on Saturday nights at 7 p.m. So it's a great opportunity to get back out there, um, to be around some other people, to make some new friends, to come back and see the team if you haven't seen us for a little while, and to start rebuilding um, in the sense of, uh, the team getting back out there with fans, um, people getting out there to to get on with life again, and 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 do something together, and be be united behind the cause, be united behind the team. Um, we're we're here to represent the state of Indiana, the city of Indianapolis. We want to do it well, and we need the people's support in order to do it. Coach, I appreciate the conversation. It makes me fired up for the season, and uh, also I appreciate you sharing, uh, you know, lessons on uh, on leadership as well. So, Coach Martin Rennie, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck with uh, the opener against Birmingham Legion FC and against uh, the home opener against FC Tulsa. People can hear you regularly on Soccer Saturday on uh, ten seventy five, uh, or sorry, ten seventy the fan, I should say. And uh, yeah, thank you, thank you so much. We're really looking forward to this Indy Eleven season. You're welcome. It was nice to speak to you, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up again soon. Thank you, Coach. Talk to you soon.